0: Good morning, church. Today's reading is from John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables, And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to see you all together and to be here together. Thank you, Dana and Stephen and the worship team. Um, Yeah, as as you see there, we're in going to be in John uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 25, so if you want to go ahead and um, get there and meet me there, I'd love for you to be able to walk along through God's Word um, as we get into it together. If you're new here or, or, or online, again, um, great to have you here or outside. Um, if you uh, haven't ever heard me preach before, I just want to give you a, a heads up that I stutter, so I want to make sure that you know what that is, and um, it'll kind of come in and out as I go and, and want to give you a heads up. Um, And I know I just asked you to kind of turn there and to get settled in, but um, this time where we pray before the sermon is not just a transition. It's not just, okay, I I need to say some stuff and then kind of we need to you know switch gears before I say something funny or tell a joke or do something like that and kind of get into the sermon. Um, It's actually historically called the the pastoral prayer. And so what I want to do right now, I actually just talked with a a couple earlier, and, and I know there are probably lots of folks just that are... Are um, heavy, heavy-hearted, um, perhaps for for a job um, situa- situation, maybe a, a family situation, or a, a something along those lines going on. So I want to actually ask all of us to to stand, and um, now as, as we pray, um, and even I'd encourage you to even hold a. Po- posture like this. Um, and again, especially if you're in a place where you need to bring a, a concern or a burden before the Lord, um, again, health, um, job, family, anything like that, um, let's, let's go and pray together um, and, and ask the Lord to really minister to, to us and to us as a community. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you um, Lord, in many of us, I'm sure everyone here in some way has a burden. If it's not for ourselves, Lord, people we love, people we care about are, are struggling, um, Lord, are, are trusting you to provide. Um, Lord, I, I do pray for those who, who, who um, Lord, you created us to work and to reflect you with our work, to glorify you and to love our neighbor through our work. So, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you will provide um, jobs, Lord, even in an even in an unforeseen way, God, that you will clearly reveal um, your your care and your provision, Lord. For health, um, as there are, I know many concerned about health, even if it's COVID or not, um, Lord. Just their their health is a big deal, and it seems like it's hard to kind of look outward into and, and to and to have a, a positive, hope filled. Posture when we're struggling in some way, um, health wise or physically. And Lord, again, family wise, Lord, within our church, our church family, Lord, within um, homes, in different situ- w- situations, we pray that, Lord, what it means to be your reconciled people, reconciled to you as our Heavenly Father, and then to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ through Jesus, we pray that you will bring healing and provision in every way. And even as we're about to now switch gears and see Jesus, you getting fired up. Um, about what what it means to be your people um, I, I pray that that we will take that seriously and also that we will be all the more grateful for the fact that we get to still come before our God um, with 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 with, um, with expectation and with joy um, because of of your grace we pray all this in, in your name Lord Jesus amen all right you can go ahead and um, have a seat and as we as we get into our time this morning in John, perhaps you heard there when we read again John chapter two verse thirteen through twenty five. This is similar to last week. It's another event that um, perhaps we've already come to a conclusion. We already think we know what's going on, and and, um, and and we might even think, well, you know, like we did last week, is Jesus being disrespectful to his mom? Is he breaking one of the ten? commandments and not honoring his mother and his father? Or is Jesus being manipulated or tricked into doing something he didn't want to do, right? And we dove into that last week. Well, this week as well can be another time where we can come to our own conclusions, and perhaps we maybe have like a more angry disposition, or we think of ourselves as more harsh or more brash, right? And we're kind of that person. And we look at a story like this, and we see, well, Jesus got angry as well. Um, Jesus turned over tables. I don't turn over the whole table. I just clear the table, right? So I'm good. I'm, I can, I can kind of justify that. And some of you who know me know I'm a, I'm a short little fiery guy and, and can. I would love to find a place to justify that, right? Um, well, I can just say out of the gates, this isn't it, all right? This is not what's going on here. We can't hide behind, say, that's just my personality. I'm just a, a brash Intense kind of person. So look at Jesus is that way too. So I can be that way as well. We, we can't do that, but we still need to consider well, what is going on here? And as is always the case, and especially throughout this whole time in John, we get to see Jesus. We get to press in and see who he is and what he's doing. And now, something before I can continue, and I also want to acknowledge because some of us might have this question. If you're familiar with the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark and Luke, this event of Jesus clearing the temple or Jesus um, right judging the temple happens toward the very end of the of his whole life, his whole ministry right before he's crucified. This event happens Well in John here we are, and it's you know early chapter Two right this is kind of just out of the gates, and we might wonder well what's going on and if again I just want to want to speak to this very briefly um, because some might wonder oh is is there a contradiction John has it happening earlier the other guys have it happening later um, or were there two events, did Jesus do this whole thing twice, and, and the, the three, what they're called the synoptic, which means same, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all, they all did it earlier, but John, you know, just wanted to be different, put it later. In short, it really doesn't matter, all right? And there's not, there's not um, any kind of contradiction at all, okay? So we don't need to be concerned about that. Um, what we do need to know this, right, is John has a purpose in this book, Okay, and we'll say this time and time again, and if you're, again, if you're new or you haven't, um, go over to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, underline it, circle it, star, whatever it is, um, that's the purpose, is that we will um, see Jesus, that we will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and through him, we can have life, eternal, abundant, full, rich, shaping life. So John is giving us a theological picture in narrative form so we see Jesus. Okay, so again, if this happened twice or not, John has a purpose and he wants us to see Jesus and he puts it in this place that he does in chapter 2, verse 13 through 25 for a particular purpose. And this is the purpose, okay? This is the big idea as we get into our time here together is this, is that Jesus knows our hearts, So he judges religion and then reveals what it will take for God to dwell with his people. Okay, again, Jesus knows our hearts. So he judges religion and reveals what it will take for us to dwell with God. So with that, let's pick up now where we see first, this first section here, beginning in verse 13, we see that Jesus judges religion. Okay. Again, in verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Verse 15, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple. Okay. In verse 15 there, we see Jesus taking his time. All right. This is not What you might think of as like Insta rage, right? You get cut off in traffic and you just flinch. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, pull over, right? This is the the family I grew up in. That was normally what it looked like, things like that. And we we again want to want to think that, but this is Jesus taking his time, considering the fact that it says making a whip. Okay, he didn't just grab whatever's closest to him right again. My mom would do this. She had four boys. We had cleats all over the house. There's a cleat. Boom, chuck it. You know, it was no. Jesus is methodically, he didn't just look and grab something to throw, but he thought about it. He considered what was going on. And then he made a whip. All right, he fastened it together. This would be like, think of like a braid, like a French braid. Jesus is like braiding. He's putting together this whip and then he's judging. So, what is he judging? Okay, three things. We're going to break it down this way. And this is th- that's here in the text. He's judging the treatment of the marginalized. Okay, he's judging a low view of worship. And then he's judging the very apparatus of religion altogether. Okay so again he's judging treatment of the marginalized he's judging low view of worship and then he's judging religion altogether so the treatment of the marginalized so it says, right, that in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there. So why would those people be there? Well, because what happens, especially during the time of Passover, one of these great feasts, which, by the way, um, we're in the first day of Yom Kippur. And so this is the beginning of one of the, the massive Jewish Holidays, which all the way back then, 2000 years ago, and all throughout the Hebrew Bible, God had given these holidays. And so we'll we'll look at that in a moment. But people would come from far and wide, would stop everything. They would take time off of work. They would do all this stuff to come and to worship. And, and they, would, they would, you know, so if you're coming, like, for instance, in um, Acts chapter 8, right, the Ethiopian eunuch was coming to worship. He went to Jerusalem, and that's a really long way from Ethiopia all the way to Israel, to Jerusalem. So if you were bringing your animals to offer as a sacrifice, as part of your worship, um, that would be a long journey, right? They could be stolen, they could die, all this stuff. So it was a big deal to bring all that with you. So it was totally acceptable, it was an acceptable sacrifice to to come and then to purchase those things there so that you could offer them up there. And this was something again that God provided to care for his people. And it would be like, and maybe to help us think about this, because we go on some trips as a family, we're a family of six, we've got a minivan, we take like sometimes 16, 18 hour drives, sometimes all at once. Um, normally on our way to vacation, we'll, we'll br- break it in half, right, just to keep it fun and, you know, s- stay at a hotel, swim, you know, hot tub, all that stuff, just hang out. And then we'll, you know, but for us as parents, it's more to break up our sleep, right? So we can, you know, drive, slow down, get some sleep, and then go. Well, imagine if you show up there at the hotel and they're like, okay, so do you you, you guys want my mattresses? Yeah, you know, of, of course. Well, okay, that's an extra, you know, to tw- a... 20 bucks each well I thought that came with the price of the hotel no no that's that's extra and then well how about pillows you know ten bucks each well, what we've got six kids you know well they're two triplets I guess they can share one you know and then um, you know we'll just okay so three pillows right and it would just it would break everything up and then and they're exploiting people and specifically they were exploiting the marginalized because they're selling them in the temple courts, not just the, the specific temple, the Holy of Holies, not just the place where all Jewish people got to go and the, the um, inner court, but the outer court, which is known as the court of the Gentiles. They're out there. So that's where they set up shop. And so they're, they're exploiting these people who have to do this. And there's most likely there's this whole system where they know, hey, um, if someone tries to exchange money out there, you know, charge them this amount, um, because and then they'll think that's too high, then they'll come in here and then we'll actually charge even more. And there was this people were just working together to to exploit the most marginalized. And normally this whole, this whole system would be outside of the temple, even outside of the city on the hill on like the Mount of Olives. So outside of this city on its way up, like before on your way to the Garden of Gethsemane, um, up in that area, there would be this whole process where you could go and you could purchase animals. So they're exploiting specifically the most marginalized. And Jesus gets mad when religious people put obstacles in the way of especially the most marginalized worshiping him. All right, when it's all ready, and again, go back to Acts chapter eight, which I just mentioned. An Ethiopian eunuch is already a marginalized person traveling, right, multiple days so far across a desert, all this stuff, and then to show up and then to have to go through all these hoops just to worship. So Jesus is judging treatment of the marginalized. He's also judging a low view of worship. Because again, now picture this with me, okay? The Gentiles, this is as close as they could get. Okay, this is like those of you who are outside, those of you who are in here, right? There's this this, this scene, not that y'all are on the outside, okay? We love you, um, right? You're, but, but just help me picture this for a minute, okay? If you're out there and you're like, hey, this is as close as I can get because of my family situation, because of whatever it might be, I'm out there. And if we were doing stuff in here that was distracting, we said, hey, you know what? Let's just actually go out there because we can't do it in here. We'll go out there. And then you're out there, you're like, changing the oil in your car. I see Alan here. He knows how to work on cars. Alan's out there, you know, parks his car in the lawn out there and he's changing the oil. And then he's talking to his Matthew. Hey, Matthew, you know, turn it up, you know, hit the gas, whatever. And there's, it would be distracting. Well, right. They didn't have cars there. if They also, you know, they weren't doing that, but it would be like this. There's animals in the place where you're trying to worship. Right. So in like Hebrew, they're like, you know, Baruch Adonai. It's just like, you know, this Hebrew call to worship. And they're like, Mer. You know, like I can't do a sheep. I someone can do that. But, you know, you got these like, I'll try, you know, how's that? Is that a good little, I've got lots of tricks. When you grow up in a family of all boys, you can, you learn these things, right? But imagine that, right? You're trying to worship. You're going through this process of coming before a holy and righteous God, preparing your heart to worship. And there's animals doing what animals do, right? Making a mess. People are trying to bone harder, how much they cost, all this stuff. It's a low view of worship and it upsets Jesus. Okay, every week from the very beginning, what we do here as a church, we have a call to worship. We've talked about this in the past, especially when we met at Safford, and this idea of like the whole service that we walk through, the liturgical order, the order of worship is purposeful. That we've been tempted to worship other things throughout the week, and now we're coming, and that's a time to you know, maybe turn our phones on airplane mode, not just so we don't distract others, but so our own hearts can be prepared to worship, okay? That we set the stage to come before God with reverence and awe and expectation, okay? So Jesus is judging a low or a harsh treatment of the marginalized. He's judging a low view of worship. Then he's also judging religion altogether. Here's what um, Andreas Kostenberger um, says, um, about this. He says, um, with the reference of the Jewish Passover, John proclaims, Old style Judaism is dead. Jesus is alive, and he embodies all the scriptural aspects of Jewish worship by showing how they point to him by virtue of his messianic office and identity. So again, I don't know if I said this earlier, and the the third one is he's judging the inadequacy of religion, religion altogether. The fact that he makes a point to say this happened during the time of the Passover, and the fact that Jesus is is clearing out the animals, okay? If you notice, he's not just judging the people's wickedness, but he actually takes a whip and he's driving out the animals with that whip. And then he tells the people, hey, take those pigeons out of here. Most likely because a pigeon's in a cage and you start hitting a whip with a pigeon. They're just flying into the cage and all this, right? So Jesus is like, hey, pick up those pigeons and take them out of here as well. Get all these animals out here because he's revealing that this whole apparatus is, is, is insufficient. It falls short. So how does that relate to us? Just pause for a moment and consider what are religious practices or observances that I think are adequate to to justify me before god to help me to relate with god to help me to worship god and i can tune my heart off altogether as long i can i can try to drown out the voice of the spirit i can keep myself entertained or distracted as long as I'm continuing to do these things, as long as I'm showing up at church on, you know, at least, you know, two or three times a month, as long as I'm going to this group every once in a while, as long as I have a, have a, have a quiet time, I open up the Bible, I sit down, I do this, but I'm like kind of just speed reading through it, right? And Jesus is showing, listen, these religious observances and practices are insufficient. So he's judging religion altogether. And then Jesus reveals what it takes for God to dwell with his people. Okay, so pick up with me now in verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Okay, now you might remember that word sign is very important. Okay, because understandably, they're confused, right? Jesus comes in, he's turning over tables, he makes a whip, he's driving out animals, you know, all this stuff. He's, he's saying, um, you, he's, he's, um, his disciples, remember, and they, they're, they're quoting it that, that in verse 17, that's Psalm 69, verse 9, but, um, about, about being zealous for God's house. So Jesus is doing these things, they're like, okay, they're taking notice, but then they ask Jesus, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Okay, what they're essentially saying, they don't straight up go to, you're not the boss of me, but they're like, are you the boss of me? And show me like what you're doing that, that will, that will, um, you're going to judge and critique all this stuff. You're going to come into my house. Um, who are you anyway? Do something for us to reveal yourself, to basically give um, yourself some credit. So again, this is negative, okay? Sign when, and as you know, throughout John, there will be seven signs, right? It's really important that we walk through these seven signs. And this isn't one of the seven signs that we'll see today. Last week, Jesus turning water to wine, that was a sign. Okay, this isn't one of those, but they use that word sign and it's like this, okay? When, when God reveals a sign to us to clarify or to awake, awaken our hearts to his character and to what he's doing, that's a good thing. We press in, we listen in. But when we are demanding a sign from God, when we're saying, God, prove yourself, when we're on the jury seat, when we're saying, "Um, I'm gonna decide whether or not I'll listen to you, I'll, I'll, I'll discern whether or not what you're saying, whether or not I should I should respect you, I should trust you, I should follow you. And again, let's just be honest, are there not ways that we still tend to put God on the trial seat where we say, um, well, I think this and everything about me, my, my, my approach to life, my worldview is this. And what you say here challenges that, um, Unless you like show up and do some kind of abracadabra stuff, or you really, you know, show up in a dream or whatever, I'm just going to keep going this way. Rather than having an, a, a, a posture that con- consistently, week in and week out, um, time and day in and day out, comes before the Lord and says, Lord, apart from you, um, my heart is prone to wander. I-, I am tempted to go this way or that way. Lord, reveal yourself to me as you are, not. Prove yourself to me, and then maybe I'll listen. So there's this negative sign that they are doing, and Jesus does answer them, or that they are asking for, that they're calling for, they're demanding. And then in verse 19, Jesus does answer them, but it's not like they would expect. This is what he says. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus is answering them. He is giving them a sign. Again, not one of the official seven signs if you're keeping track of those, but he is giving them a sign. He's pointing out a sign, but they don't get it. This is what Wesley Newbigin says, where Jesus is saying, listen, you're all concerned about this temple. I'm coming into this temple, and I'm judging it. Jesus is saying, I am the true temple. This is what Leslie Newbigin says, the temple is the place of sacrifice where God has provided the mercy seat at which sin is put away and men and women can come into the presence of God. But with the death of Jesus, the one true sacrifice is offered and there is no more need for the blood of sheep and oxen. Again, go back to Jesus driving out the animals, right? He's driving out oxen. He's driving out sheep, not just because they make noises and they're cooping all over the floor, though that is the case, right? But also because he's exposing, listen, that, that, that falls short. That won't do it. You're going to have to come back next year. You're going to have to buy more oxen. You're going to have to provide more sheep. And what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, you're all concerned about the temple, this physical temple, but you're missing what the temple represents. Okay, the temple this massive structure that you would see from miles and miles away on what's called the Temple Mount, the hill in Jerusalem. The temple was, was designed to be a picture where God is dwelling among his people. Okay, the word is actually tabernacling or setting up a tent or setting up a shop and even and I, I can't go into all this, but even when King David, who wants to have the first temple built, when he's going before God and then God says, well, you're a man of war. You can't do it. Your son Solomon will. So the first temple is Solomon's temple. Even there, God is saying, yes, I want my people to know that I am their God and they are my people and that I dwell among them and that that shapes their whole life. But even that was insufficient because God knew that people would then focus on the sign and not on what it represents. So Jesus is saying, "Listen, here's your sign. This temple will be wiped out, and then it will be rebuilt in three days." And understandably, if they're focusing on the wrong part, they're confused about it. They're like, "Um, I'm no like architect or contractor, but this thing took 46 years to be built, right?" That's what they say in verse 20, right? They're confused. They said, "It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days?" But again, verse 21, he was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus is saying, Listen, here's your sign. This temple will be destroyed. Jesus, his body, will be crucified. That's that's a a, a sign, that's a picture. You want to know what God is doing, what it takes for God to dwell with his people? He will have to be destroyed. He will be whipped, right? He uses a whip to, to, to judge. He will then allow himself to be whipped and judged. But then, victoriously, God will, will rebuild the temple. He will raise Jesus from the dead. Easter, amen? We celebrate that God has indeed restored the way that God dwells with his people and that we come and worship him, not with animal sacrifices, not, not exploiting one another and changing you know, money and saying, well, you owe this and you owe that. No, but by simply coming humbly before the person and work of Jesus in faith, in surrender, we individually and corporately can, can worship God and then his Holy Spirit now indwells us. Okay, because Jesus, the the true temple, allowed himself to be destroyed and then raised up in three days. This is what Nubian continues, and he says this. The temple is the Lord God's tabernacling where his glory dwells. But in Jesus, the word of God has come to tabernacle among us, and we have seen his glory, right? That's chapter 1, verse 14. We beheld his glory. The flesh and blood of Jesus, this man, is the temple where God dwells in the fullness of grace and truth. Okay, Remember that in a moment when we take communion. The body and blood of Jesus is a reminder of the temple of God. The dwelling place of God now with us. What happened in Genesis when sin entered into the world, right? The the dwelling place of God was now no longer with man, but through Jesus, the the true temple, allowing himself to be destroyed and then raised again, restores us to to all of life, full, reckless abandon, um, uh, opportunity to go before God, access to God, holy God. And understandably, everyone's confused. Okay, not just the, the Jewish religious people, but even the disciples. Okay, look here, where in, um, in verse 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So this is like a ju- jump track. Okay, he, um, John gives away the end of the story. If John were just trying to tell a good story, he wouldn't give away this thing that, that, oh, Jesus rose from the dead and everyone understood and his disciples will worship him. Right? That'd be like, why would you do that? You just gave away the whole point. You know, you just, if you, you know, sixth sense is like revealed 10 minutes into the story. Why would you do that? But again, remember his whole point is that we will see and believe and worship Jesus. Jesus judges religion. Jesus reveals what it will take for God to dwell with his people. And it's all because Jesus knows our hearts. So verses 23 through 25 is kind of a transition point. This will actually set us up for next week as well. Because the fact that Jesus is omniscient, that means all-knowing, that he knows our hearts Okay, so he's the one who's sovereign. He's the initiator. He's the one that we need to trust in and to surrender to. So pick up with me in verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed, you can underline that, in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Again, this isn't full life shaping belief. This isn't the kind of belief that John was talking about in chapter 20. This isn't, I surrender. This is, I'm intrigued. I'll 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 give you props right now. I'll follow you right now cuz you're doing this dog and pony show that you're doing all these signs. You just turned water to wine. Yeah, I'm going to show up. I'm going to hang out here. But this isn't full surrender belief. Okay, so we might think oh Jesus is probably so excited right now. He's like, "Yes, all these people are believing in me." But hear me, Jesus is just like last week, just like we see all throughout. He's not anxious. Right? He's not looking for all our applause and all our adoration that we can give without his intervention. Okay? Everyone, all these people, many believed in his name because of these signs that he was doing. Verse 24, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Okay, Jesus isn't about trying to prove himself. Church, I, this might be harsh, but hopefully it's also incredibly loving and caring, and I hope you hear it that way. I, I come preaching not to convince you to be impressed with me. Okay, I, I come... As we come as a church consistently in our C's, whatever it might be, we come, this is why we stand when we re- re- read God's word. We come recognizing that we need God to reveal himself to us. And that if we're in the driver's seat, if we're sitting back saying, I'll take that, but not that. I'll, I'll, I'll cross that out, but I'll accept that. I'll do this, I'll do that. Then, then that's not the kind of belief that all throughout the gospel, this author John is calling for. But The true author God is calling for us to an all in life-shaping surrender to the person and work of Jesus who is not trying to impress us or convince us, but call us, woo us by revealing his love for us. And that he laid down his life for us. Okay, Jesus is judging religion any other way. He's driving it out. Church, this morning, what might he be driving out of our hearts? He knows our hearts even more than we do. And he's revealing that through his death and his resurrection alone, we can have full access to God. God who dwells among us. Amen. All right, let's respond together. Again, Heavenly Father, we, um, we come before you because of who and what Jesus is and has done. Lord, we, we, may, we, may we come with reverence and awe. Lord, the sin that, that comes to mind, that, Lord, the, the religious activity that I tend to rely on rather than your undeserved favor and acceptance. Lord, the way that I treat other people, especially the marginalized, the way I ask you to jump through hoops in order for me to follow you, Lord, that is sin and it deserves your judgment. Lord, the temple was the most revered place. People did not, even the high priest did not go into the, the, the holy of holies, but once a year and even then he knew that, that he could die if his posture was flippant or he had unconfessed sin. And yet, because you, the true temple, laid down your life and shed your blood and then rose from the dead, you have now given us full, unhindered access to our holy God, our creator, our father. So now by your spirit, Lord, will you lead us to respond appropriately and worship together. In Jesus' name, amen.